Thank you for tuning in to Tech United on Tap, brought to you by Tech United New Jersey. You're listening to a special episode from our Propelify 2020 series, and you can find more episodes like this on our website at techunited.co. That's techunited.co. This talk debuted at the fifth annual Propelify Innovation Festival in October 2020, where our mantra is to propel ideas into action. Enjoy it, and be sure to subscribe to be notified when new episodes go live. Next up, we have a panel on clean energy, the clean energy future, really esteemed panel. Thrilled to welcome Catherine Zamsky from Carbon Ventures. She's going to moderate it. Catherine, handing over to you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And very excited to be here today with this wonderful panel of uh, top professionals uh, in their respective fields. So let me start by introducing myself and then we'll just uh, jump into the questions. Um, so um, I've been an investor my entire career, um, most recently uh, focusing on uh, clean energy, renewables, clean tech. And uh, by um, uh, by nature, I've built uh, a company that uh, focuses on technologies that reduce carbon emissions. Uh, I'm also advising a fund uh, that's focusing on uh, renewables uh, through um, project finance investing and uh, venture investing. So a lot of interesting things that are happening in the world now in the energy space. We're in this transition, Industry 4.0. And uh, with this panel, uh, we want to talk about um, what uh, technologies are currently disrupting um, energy sector and uh, how can we transition uh, to this new, more sustainable mm-hmm. future. Um, so uh, perhaps we start with, um, with Rick uh, and Chris. We have two Chris's here. Uh, so I'll have to say Chris, Chris H. Um, and uh, we'll start with um, talking about um, what most excites you now about the energy sector. Uh, and how can we uh, really um, use the power of energy to build a better future? So sort of a loaded question here. Rick, would you like to, uh, to okay, jump Okay, I thought in? Chris was gonna go first. I'm sorry, yes, I'd be happy to. Yeah, no, happy uh, for Chris to go first. <laughs> so I'm Rick Sigpen, and I work for PSEG, which I will refer to as public service today. And I'm in, involved in corporate citizenship, and it's about the very uh, a question you just asked. Um, mm-hmm. Energy, I've discovered. Introduction, absolutely. Your okay. your uh, background and uh, then answer the question. Thank you. Oh, I could go further, but okay. So energy touches everybody's life every day. It is a very important part of of the quality of life for all of us here and all of and all Americans, really all beyond that. And it's also a very powerful part of our economy. Energy literally drives our economy, and so energy has the ability as a business to touch communities in so many different ways in terms of creating economic opportunity, but also now fighting climate change, it is now a global challenge and and energy is a part, a key part of that fight. So developing clean energy will touch every life because one thing I'm sure we all agree upon today is that we all wanna pass on a healthier planet to our children and how we generate energy and how we use energy is an important part of that equation. And it can create economic opportunity where a big corporation in New Jersey, we hire lots of people and we have lots of vendors. So we have to be purposeful about corporate value and, and using it to maximize its impact on the people around us and the communities we serve. And that's a very big challenge for us. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. 
And uh, Chris, if you'd like to make your intro and uh, answer the question, and then we'll move on to Catherine Bryan. Yeah, Catherine, appreciate it. And, and Rick, good, good intro comments there. Uh, my name is Chris Hart. I'm the President and Managing Director for Atlantic Shores Offshore Wind. It's a 50-50 joint venture between two large energy players, two large global energy players with deep roots in, in, uh, in the U.S. EDF is the world's largest electric utility and Shell uh, is a household name uh, basically on any continent. So happy to be progressing our 183,000 acre lease off New Jersey and, and proud to be uh, bringing our power into New Jersey. And that's really what excites me uh, most when I think about uh, the clean energy future. You know, I'm very focused on on offshore wind, very focused on our projects, but thinking about even from our project alone, even from our portfolio alone, uh, you know, about a third of the homes in New Jersey can can benefit from clean energy. So it's a, a very large uh, project, very large opportunity, uh, our project in particular, but offshore wind in general, you know, and that's another thing that excites me about New Jersey in particular is how, how really leading the way nationally and and even if you look at it internationally new jersey would would rank well as as a as a market for offshore wind and it's one of the reasons why our shareholders are interested so again millions of people getting their power from from offshore wind clean uh, power a new industry lots of jobs all pretty exciting things great thank you um chris cassie would you mind talking about your company and introducing yourself i know you're doing some very interesting things in the energy space of course. So my name is Kathy Hanoon. I'm the co-founder and president of a company called Dandelion Geothermal. And we're taking actually what's a very old technology. So the first patent for a geothermal heating and cooling system was filed in, I think, 1912 in Switzerland. Um, but we're making it, I would say, for the first time, cost effective and affordable for just a typical homeowner. Um, we actually spun out of Alphabet's X Lab in 2017. So we started as part of Alphabet, formerly more known as Google, and now we're an independent startup company. Um, you know, I guess what excites me about energy, it's a really huge question. I think um, one thing that always inspires me to remember is that when you think about what the world was like in 1900, it's like, a lot of whales were killed for whale oil. Um, there was horse manure just littering the streets, which was one of the biggest societal problems at that time. And like women spent all of their time washing clothes and carrying water everywhere. You know, it's just um, life couldn't be more different than it was. And a lot of that is because of energy and these networks of energy systems that we've put in place that have transformed life just like unimaginably, I think. But of course, as other panelists have mentioned, like lots of downsides to how we do it in terms of climate change. Um, you know, a lot of the fuels we use are poisonous, not good for the environment. Um, so I'm just excited because I think a lot of the ways that we've done things are actually quite outdated at this point and we have the technologies to make them work much better for society um, and now it's just a matter of implementation and so i think we're going to see that implementation happen very quickly which we need as a society because it's you know it's time sensitive that we figure these things out yeah we're we're, we're about to get this planet even hotter so <laughs> Time to act is now, right? Um, so um, thanks, Kathy. Brian, um, talk about yourself a little bit your and uh, your current focus and your take on clean energy. 
Sure. Uh, my name is Brian Sabina. I'm Senior Vice President for Economic Transformation at the NJEDA, or the New Jersey Economic Development Authority. Um, I have the, the great pleasure and privilege to get to work on strategic sector work for the states and helping to drive a, a stronger and fairer economy uh, in, here in New Jersey. And uh, we focus, uh, our, our team at the EDA focuses on eight focus sectors that the governor identified in a uh, economic plan back in 2018. And two of the eight, so a quarter of our focus sectors are about clean energy. So we have Offshore Wind as a standalone effort and to get the chance to work with folks like Chris and his team. Uh, and then uh, the balance of clean energy. So things like geothermal, energy storage, solar, um, you know, all, all of those energy efficiency uh, are kind of the balance of clean energy. So we have teams on both. And, you know, one of the things that our group does is we look not just next year, what's going to help drive growth in New Jersey, the next five to 15 years. And we've taken a lot of, you know, perspectives on this for the state specifically. And, and we fundamentally believe that offshore wind and clean energy will drive outsized growth in New Jersey uh, in that time period. And it's, it's really growth across the spectrum. It's growth in investment, it's growth in number of companies, and really importantly, it's growth in number of jobs. And I think as we look at this transition that's happening in clean energy, one, New Jersey is incredibly well positioned to help in this and to drive, be a force in this because we have a great mixture of pretty highly talented professionals, but also a great mixture of really skilled technicians. And if you look at clean energy and what's happening, there is room in this transition for all of those people, right? We have PhDs who are working on new technology. We have operations folks who are building the next specs heat pump. Uh, we also have really uh, lots of jobs of, for technicians who are doing retrofits or you know working on wind turbines or installing solar. So it's a it's a it's a win 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 for us as we look at it moving forward. Thanks. Yeah, and that's a great segue to the next question about you know the exciting projects that you've seen, the exciting technologies that you worked on. Because uh, obviously New Jersey community, uh, startup community is booming. Uh, there are more and more entrepreneurs that are coming out of the innovation labs in New Jersey and we uh, love to work with these folks. And they're very much down to earth, just like the panel <laughs> here. So um, speaking like a true New Yorker. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting to uh, see how technologies are now moving the energy uh, space forward, right? So there are obviously energy producers, but there are also all these technologies that are emerging and now are improving operations, optimizing the way we use energy, giving us more transparency in terms of um, how we're able to uh, see our consumption of energy. So all of that is um, becoming more and more um, uh, transparent and accessible um, to the end user and consumer behavior is changing because of that. So if you could name a few interesting projects that you're involved in or a few technologies that you've seen that really excite you and think will uh, bring us to to the future and perhaps with, uh, we'll start with uh, Chris again and Rick uh, and uh, followed with uh, Kathy and Brian. Go in the same order. <laughs> Feel free to jump in and interrupt each other at, at any point. <laughs> right, I, I think that means I go first. Yeah. So there is no question as we talked about the production and delivery of energy to end users is also a huge economic driver. And today we have climate change. And so transitioning from fossil fuels to clean energy really requires innovation. And there's opportunity for the innovation world to play a very meaningful role in changing how we, how we uh, produce and consume energy. 
And at Public Service, we have a very new, exciting project where innovation could be a part of it, and it's energy efficiency. One of the most important parts of climate change, certainly, is to reduce all of our individual energy consumption. Some of that's about behavior, right? Is there anybody who's listening whose mother hasn't told them to turn out the lights when you leave a room? Simple things like that. But there are also far more sophisticated ways to reduce energy consumption, including smarter appliances. And smart meters is a big deal for the world of utilities in terms of reducing energy consumption. When people understand sometimes how they're wasting energy, ways that they can reduce energy by studying their energy patterns, they are more inclined to reduce their energy usage. So using innovation to help reduce energy usage is a big, big challenge for the future and making that universally accessible. You should not have to be wealthy to enjoy the benefits of energy efficiency because energy efficiency is a key part of fighting climate change and protecting our planet should not depend upon your personal income. So we're very excited about it. And in fact, I'll just say one last thing, Catherine, is that we're working with Tech United on an innovation challenge to help find new ways for us to bring energy efficiency into the homes of the people of New Jersey so they can save energy, do it easily and do it affordably. And it's a major contribution to the fight against climate change. And we're very excited about it. And innovation needs to be our partner in shaping that brighter future. Wonderful, thanks. Um, Chris, would you like to go next? Yeah, sure. And uh, maybe, maybe we can mix it up a little bit. Yeah, sorry. Then I have individual questions for you as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. And, and maybe we can mix it up a little bit, Brian, and I can probably tag team on this one a little bit. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that's really interesting is, as far as, you know, technology and, and kind of the, the projects that, that we're working on in the offshore wind space, everything's really, really big uh, in the offshore wind space. You know, uh, the turbines are getting lar larger, the, the blades are getting longer, you know, it's a uh, 100 meter long blades, football field long blades is, is kind of the, the status quo and you're pushing pushing that envelope uh, even further. Each each wind turbine themselves, you know, it's, it's uh, 13 megawatts, you know, it's like uh, thousands of homes uh, with one single turbine uh, and, and they're, they're getting heavier and, and you know, taller. So um, everything's large and, and uh, one of the key ingredients for offshore wind is, is having a, a, a very capable port. And so uh, Brian and his team and, and, uh, uh, and the governor in New Jersey really have taken a, a leadership role in developing uh, the New Jersey wind port. And it's something that, that the, the offshore wind industry, Atlantic Shores uh, in particular, is very excited about, about, that, uh, about that port. And, and so um, that's, uh, maybe you want to go into some more depth there, Brian, on, on the New yeah. Jersey wind port and, and some of the capabilities that, that are being uh, brought forward there. But, but uh, offshore wind, very, very big, lots of scale. Uh, like I said in, in, my, in my introductory comments, millions of, millions of people and the, the key driver there really is, is tech. If you take tech as a broadly defined term, you know, really scaling these individual components, vessels and foundations and all of that. But uh, New Jersey wind port, very exciting to see all that happening. Yeah, no, Chris, thanks for the tee up on that one. You know, we are just incredibly excited and proud and, and motivated about the Windport project. It's, uh, you know, on one end of what's happening in clean energy, as you said, this is like the really big, we're going to put in $100 billion of new infrastructure off the U.S. East Coast over the next 15 years as an industry. And go, we need a way to do that. And we're investing as a state uh, in a brand new port down in Salem County, 
Um, it will be the largest investment in that part of the state in 50 years. And it's all about clean energy, right? And it happens to be right next to uh, one of PSENG's uh, nuclear generating facilities, Hope Creek, uh, and they're a great partner in this. So you're seeing kind of companies come together um, and really supporting you know, all assets or, or facets uh, of, of the clean energy transition. Uh, what I'm really excited about is, yes, you know, the state of New Jersey is going to be building a brand new wind port and it's gonna support the industry. But the reason we're doing that is because the industry is evolving so quickly, right? So when we looked eight years ago, um, the, the machines that Chris was talking about were a third the size, right? When you have that much change in technology, it is right for innovation, uh, both on materials, when we look at it from operations, when we look at it from how do we actually like, install these things and how do we create new processes to, to manage the logistics. So, uh, you know, by anchoring the supply chain of the customers here in New Jersey, it creates an opportunity for small businesses and entrepreneurs to really get involved in that in that brand new industry. And I think that's something that we've thought a lot about in terms of innovation and uh, clean energy is that it's not just, oh, the next new product, right? It's also the next new operating system and the next new service platform and the technology that, that wraps around some of that those new products, which is exciting. Um, the, the other thing, I, I want to jump back to what Rick said around energy efficiency for a second, because that is, yeah, it, it is probably the least sexy, but probably one of the most important parts of the, our clean energy transition. If you look at New Jersey, we're pretty underweight in terms of um, how many you know, energy efficiency technicians and retrofitters we have, and we see that as a huge opportunity, great jobs, uh, save energy. It's, it's the, one of the most efficient ways of doing it. And the innovation there is, yes, of course, about technology and operations, but there's also a lot of financial innovation uh, that, that happens uh, in that part of the, the clean energy economy, right? So if we look at who needs energy retrofits, well, if you're a wealthy family, like you probably have already thought about that smart, that smart home meter and extra insulation. If you're on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum, um, there's probably a huge benefit in investing in energy efficiency, but you, you may not have the capital today to make that investment up front. So, looking at the intersection of fintech and clean energy is incredibly exciting for, for that part of the, uh, the clean energy economy. Absolutely. I guess, like, I think I jumping into the clean uh, energy and energy efficiency conversation, I think energy efficiency, people have recognized for so long that it would be great if people just insulated their homes and it would make a huge difference. And for a long time, I mean, still today, it's like been very difficult to get traction on that or have it make a real difference. And I think part of the reason why is that, in my opinion, the best um, the best way of innovating, especially for consumer-based energy products, you really have to make, I, like I actually disagree maybe a little bit that behavior change will play a part in our in our um, solution because you know one thing Pat Brown, who's the founder and CEO of a company called Impossible Foods, says he they make the um, the non meat hamburger that tastes exactly like a hamburger. <laughs> he was just like the way that they succeed is they have to make meat lovers prefer their product over meat. You know, and so his insight was just like, you can, a lot of people have made veggie burgers for a long time. It's going to appeal to this like very tiny niche of the population. But if you're really going to, he's trying to 
um, solve climate change by getting rid of animal agriculture, which is responsible for a huge sector of emissions. You just got to make a product that's better. And I think Elon Musk did the same thing with the Tesla. It's like electric cars existed before that. They were kind of compromise cars for people who cared about the environment. Um, they had a lot of drawbacks, but people, if they really cared, bought them. And now people who don't care about the environment want a Tesla because it's a Tesla. It's like, how can we do that with energy efficiency? Because the last thing that most people want to think about or spend money on is insulation for their home. Just because like no one really thinks about that or wants that really. Um, even though it's financially the right thing to do and a great thing to do. So I'm not arguing with the logic. I'm just talking about consumer behavior. And that is one reason that um, geothermal attracted me um, because geothermal heating and cooling systems are a luxury product. They're very popular in high-end homes and they're very, very, they're the most efficient possible heating and cooling system. So um, it's one reason that I feel like cracking the cost barrier on geothermal could have such a big impact because all of a sudden you're actually making a more desirable product accessible um, that also is more energy efficient. Kathy, yeah, that's a great turn out the lights when you leave the room though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't even don't worry, I do most of the time. <laughs> but wouldn't it be better, for example, like the lights that just automatically turn off when you leave that are in offices like that just seems like a better idea to me you know it's like make it foolproof make it easy and then it will happen also make it so that every once in a while i don't, don't like lean back and wave my hands so that my lights <laughs> yeah that's, that's true they could be improved a little bit in that sense i absolutely agree you heard it here opportunity the yeah, next generation <laughs> sensing for lights and heat pumps Let's do both. These already exist, right? Uh, these technologies are out there that can help you manage your environment better. I think one of the difficult uh, that early entrepreneurs in the sector had is here I have this wonderful technology and uh, somehow I need to deploy it. Uh, and uh, it's not that easy to get um, the customers uh, to adapt these, right? So how do you really get uh, this type of tech and uh, promote this and get the, um, the large customers, right? Energy companies, uh, power companies to, uh, to get to use them. Uh, and uh, how do you get consumers to get to know them? So it's, it's not that easy to do. So um, maybe Kathy will stay with you for a moment uh, and tell us about how you promoted the attack. How did you convince yeah. people to use it? This is the most wonderful thing. And that would be a good advice for all the entrepreneurs out there. Yeah, I mean, you touch on a very real issue. So we wanted to mainstream geothermal heat pumps, right? And one way we could have approached the problem is to try to build a superior heat pump. But like, that would take a lot of capital, a lot of time. And then once you have a really better heat, let's say you do it and you have like a much better heat pump, how do you sell it like no one there's no channel to go through to sell geothermal heating and cooling systems to homeowners so what we ended up doing is the first year of the company a year and a half or so it was all about building the channel we had to start with let's figure out how to market geothermal heating and cooling how to sell it what is our business model for actually getting it into the home and only once we had 
some semblance of an idea of like doing that and that was growing, did we then shift our attention to launching our dandelion air heat pump product? And I think the strength of dandelion now is it grows with our ability to just, you know, as our customer base grows, as our sophistication around the marketing and sales grow, it gives us greater and greater license to invest in improving the technology further and further because we actually have a sales channel. And in our industry, that that's a huge challenge. Yeah, and uh, you know, Chris, Brian, and Rick, uh, you know a lot about policy and collaboration between uh, you know private and public sector and promoting large projects, right? So some of the largest wind turbine projects uh, in the state. So how does that get done? Uh, I'm sure there is a lot of work that gets put into this. Um, what were the roadblocks that you faced and how did you um, solve those problems? Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll share a couple comments. Um, you know, if you, if you look back through my career, I've been in this role since October of 2018 and, and I had, had roles earlier at the U.S. Department of Energy. I was the head of uh, first offshore wind manager there at, in Washington, D.C. and I worked at ExxonMobil for a little while. And I, I'd been a champion. There were several of us out there, you know, uh, who were champions for offshore wind for, for, for you know, better part of a, of a decade, maybe a decade and a half. And, and it, it was very difficult uh, in, in those early years to get the, a, 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 you know, a concept like offshore wind off the ground. You know, you, you, can, you can talk about scale. As I mentioned, that's a big driver. You can talk about, talk about proximity to demand. That's a big driver. But there always seemed to be hurdles that, that, were, that were brought up. Uh, very recently, and I think I think it's pretty exciting. You've seen some developments in the last couple of weeks. You're starting to see major, major players. You know, our shareholders, EDF and Shell, have been in the space for for a while. Uh, two very big names, as I mentioned. So, you know, some some of the forefront uh, at at some of the forefront of those early activities, early investments. Very, very exciting. But you're starting to see uh, transition and movement uh, uh, across a broader swath of, of the industry. And so that's great. I guess one message that comes out of that is is uh, is refine the messages and and be persistent. I probably don't need to to, to say that too much. There's a lot of folks out there that understand the persistency uh, piece, but you are seeing offshore wind in particular uh, really taking off, you know, tens of thousands of megawatts. Again, millions of people in the U.S. around the world really, really uh, moving, moving fast. And a lot, a lot of that is because you're seeing the, the big uh, players in the energy space moving more forcefully, more deliberately uh, in, into, uh, into offshore wind. So that pers persistency from, from so many people certainly paying off. And let me jump in. Go ahead, Rick. Yeah. Energy is a public private partnership and that partnership is frequently very challenging. Chris just talked about offshore wind. There's an offshore wind economic development act in New Jersey. There's a New Jersey clean energy act. And there are a series of executive orders making this possible. All of those activities involve a, a substantial amount of politics and policy and balancing, right? I work for a, a utility company, an investor-owned utility, and so our investors have expectations. Politicians have voters who have expectations, and having the expectations of investors and voters come together requires conversation, it requires some mutual trust, it requires compromise, and it requires some, some leadership, probably from the elected side, to drive this forward. Mm -hmm. And so what Chris is talking about is the product of a whole lot of politics 
at the core of this politics to me is the fact that we are dealing with climate change. And if we don't change, we are going to face the consequences. And, and those who are looking at the future would prefer not to face those consequences. But everybody knows human nature. So it's gonna cost money to do offshore wind. So should I spend the money on offshore wind to fight climate change? Because the costs of climate change are liable to be much higher but they're not here yet, you know, they're in the future. And in politics, that concrete cost versus the, uh, uh, I'm trying to find the right word, not concrete cost in the future, which could be astronomical of adapting to the challenges of climate change, really requires some political leadership and some very serious dialogue. And it requires confidence among the people talking to each other so that the best solutions can come about. So behind the scene is a whole bunch of tough stuff, you know, a lot of elbowing under the boards and lots of compromise to be done in order for us to adopt these policies. But it's absolutely essential because energy at its core is a public-private partnership and new technologies like Kathy's require the public sector to embrace them in order for the public to really have broad access to it in a fashion that's affordable. Yeah, can't do without it. Brian, go ahead. So I, I agree with Rick. There is lots of elbowing under the board and it, it's a messy process. But at the same time, it, there has been, you know, certainly over the last few years, if not the last five years, just a change in mindset. And I think that there's, you know, folks are just demanding that we get crap done now, right? And um, I think you're seeing that it's not just from, you know, folks who care about the environment. It's, it's from, you know, folks all across the country. It's from our political leadership at this point. Like, I think there's a real realization that now is the time. And I think we're really heartened to see a lot of investors, a lot of entrepreneurs hearing that and seeing that and not just thinking about it as, as a great thing for the environment and for equity, but also as a great economic opportunity. And look, you know, New Jersey wants to be a, a leader in this space. We're one of a handful of states that has a massive you know, utility scale storage goal. We're one of a few states that actually has a data-driven plan to get us to 100% clean energy by uh, 2050. So you know, it, it, yes, there's lots that goes on, but at the end of the day, you just have to commit to it. And I think New Jersey is one of a handful of states who are committing to it hard. Uh, and we're putting resources at the big side of things, like you know, building wind ports, you know, providing uh, solicitations for offshore wind to make that market. We're also doing it on the small side and really thinking about how do we build new tools to make you know, those small entrepreneurs uh, get, get uh, going, whether that's through new small seed grants, through some R&D voucher systems that help our entrepreneurs get into our academic universities and use those testing and prototyping assets that they, they want to use, right? So to, to, to grow and build their business. So what the Tech United is doing around uh, the Clean Tech Alliance with folks like PSCNG, right? All of this is just people committing to get it done. And at the end of the day, uh, I couldn't be more proud of what we're doing. Brian, yeah. my mother would call that making an economic virtue out of a climate change necessity, the way you just Amen. <laughs> Very nice. So if I'm going to jump in here real quick if I can, Catherine, because I know, you know, new world we got going on in 2020, and normally we'd have Kathy, you know, physically at the event. She wouldn't be able to leave, but now she's a click away from another being that she has to go to. So I want to make sure we have a chance to, to you know, get a little bit more of her time. Kathy, Jim Collins talks about having this big, hairy, audacious goal, a BHAG to go after. You, you know, you've picked an industry with a massive, audacious goal. And I think what's interesting about this panel is we have representations across the spectrum 
I'm wondering what your experience has been. Like, does it require a Google? Does it require a shell? Do we need these massive partners or Alphabet to, to enable these things to happen, to, to get the outsiders in the game? I think that increasingly it will be possible to do it without a big corporate sponsor. And the reason I say that is it seems like the investment community is shifting. You know, when, when I started Dandelion, it was very difficult to raise money, um, even coming out of Google, right? So I was in a strong position coming out of this reputable place. Um, but even so, people are very skittish about clean energy, especially real world clean energy where you have to go to people's homes and do things. I've really seen that change. I think there's a lot more excitement from the investment community around the energy transformation. And if that's, if that continues, then I will expect like a lot more entrepreneurs will get the capital they need to get started, which will be great because there's like so many things to do and so many ideas to explore. Um, if it doesn't continue, if we take a step back for some reason, which I don't believe we will, then I do think the large corporate sponsor plays a key role just to keep yeah. that capital available to the high risk early stage idea. I do genuinely think you have support from companies like PSCG, certainly from the EDA. We'd like to see across the river and get some geothermal from, you know, from Dandelion oh. here soon. <laughs> I can't um, wait. We would love to see that happen. So we're, we're going to keep the panel going. I know you have to go, Kathy, but before you do, this would be a normal place where I'd like to sort of make the audience stand up and high five one another. It's super awkward, but they get to meet each other. So before you go, so we don't lose you, we're going to high five the camera on three, one, two, three, boom. Oh, and you, since you have 30 seconds left and I forgot the most important question, then you can sign off, which is how can the tech community, how can Dandelion, the goal of this event is to build a better future for all. How can we do that? Yeah, I would say that the better future will just depend on individuals taking personal career risks to go after big, hairy, audacious goals um, to make our system better. And that can be, you know, starting a company, taking a position within a company, doing a partnership, working in the government. Like there's, as this panel makes so clear, so many key roles to play, but the more committed people take responsibility for climate, the faster we'll figure it out. Awesome. Well, thanks for going. I'm sorry that uh, you have to leave us. We're going to keep going for a little bit longer with this panel. Thanks, Kathy. Thank going you. to Catherine, you know, as an investor in this space, what's that, Rick? You turn out those lights when you leave. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, it's not just moms. Dads get concerned about the bills also. Yes. Catherine, uh, as an investor in this space, what do you look for? You know, again, you know, the infrastructure required is significant. It's much different than SaaS companies that a lot of uh, our attendees are used to. What do you look for when you invest in, in this category? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, these technologies are necessary. They're not good to have. They're absolutely must-haves by all. So the first thing I look for is, hey, can this be scaled? Um, can uh, it be actually applied in the real world or is it just theoretical? So once, uh, yes, and uh, has it been pilot tested by some major player? And once it's pilot tested and uh, verified, then it's time to, to roll it up, right? And uh, that's when we invite uh, other co-investors and uh, other folks to look at this and promote this everywhere. So that's kind of the pivotal moment for me is uh, whether the technology is ready, the MVP has been built, 
whether it has real life application um, as opposed to theoretical. This, yes, I uh, would love for everyone to focus on this and write dissertations, but uh, time to act is now. So we, we, we have to have these applications in real life. And that's why there is a lot of collaboration goes that uh, into promoting these technologies uh, within the customers, especially larger industrial customers. You know, Chris, uh, there, are, there are many industries where it's winner take all, but the energy space is quite different. And I was hoping we'd get to a little maybe friendly competition with you and, and Kathy before she left. But I mean, how much is your view that it's going to take 100 players or how much is your view it's wind or nothing? Yeah, do you have a sticker on the back of your car, wind or die? No, 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 absolutely not. Uh, you, know, you know, again... I should have said on the back of your bike, by the way. I apologize, but go ahead. <laughs> no, look, you know, look, looking back again uh, on, on my career, you know, spending some time at, at companies like ExxonMobil and, and, and places like that <clears throat> with, with shareholders like we have with, with EDF. You know, EDF has, a, has, has deep American roots, has been operating renewables, projects in the U.S. for for 35 years, largely wind, solar, and storage, but they also have a significant nuclear footprint uh, in the U.S. and and around the world, and and Shell, you know, predominantly uh, has made its its history in the oil and gas space, although making a significant shift into into renewables and and, uh, and, and green hydrogen, especially in Europe. Um, but but it really there will be a transition uh, period, and and you know the the debate comes on on the the pace of that transition. Uh, and, and, you know, the role that oil will play versus the role that gold, gas will play versus versus nuclear. And there's some nuances in there, but I think it's very difficult. There aren't there aren't too many uh, conclusions from reputable organizations that would say uh, that, that it's, it's not going to take an all of the above strategy uh, for a period of time in, into the future. And so um, I think it's great the, the work it, it, uh, that Kathy and her team are doing, you know, offshore wind in particular. I'm, I'm very bullish, obviously, on offshore wind and, and the scalability of offshore wind. But onshore wind in the U.S. is, is, is a, a raging success story, uh, you know, and, and, and solar uh, trajectory and, and growth curve is really picking up now uh, as well. So there's, there's a lot of great things that are happening. Uh, and and it, it really will take a period of time for that transition to happen. But I'm I'm very bullish on the future for clean energy, especially in uh, in in uh, New Jersey and especially in America. Especially in New Jersey, Rick. You know we've we've gotten to know each other through this engagement on the clean tech challenge, surfacing startups. I, I know that they this this concept of uh, working with the startup and the technology community was was not as much in the forefront for you. What's something you've come you've seen come you know, into, you know, into the focus that gives you hope that we're moving in the right direction here and how technology can play a role. So technology is very important. So Aaron, uh, partnership, the ability to collaborate plays an important role, right? Wind technology is a new thing. And, and just in the brief time that Chris is here, right? Chris would not be in New Jersey, but for wind technology to be pursued by New Jersey and the story is still to be told, but Clearly, New Jersey is a little bit better off because people like Chris are here because we're doing something new. And the impacts of his presence here are going to go far beyond just his project. Other things will happen. And there's true for a, a whole host of things. And you're opening my eyes to all kinds of innovators out there. You know, Catherine, maybe we'll get you over to New Jersey, too, and help make New Jersey a better place. Right? Someday, someday. <laughs> right. And that's about collaboration and making a market that attracts people to come here to do exciting things. Right. I said it before. If we don't take action on climate change, we are going to face the consequences. 
And those consequences are not here today and they're hard to predict, but they're, they're there. As sure as the sun shines, those consequences are coming if we don't take action. And it's going to take innovation because our lifestyle requires energy and our economy requires energy. So it's not, so the demand is not going away, but we've got to change how we produce it and we've got to change how we deliver it. And that is going to be about innovation and it's going to be about partnership and public policy like production tax credits for wind are an essential part of making that partnership happen. The public sector has to be the leader to bring us all together or we're not going to come together because it's got to be a public policy to make the transition. We could sit here today in my world and say fossil fuels remain the cheapest option in the wholesale electric markets. That's a failure of public policy because we all know we have to reduce our use of fossil fuels or the threat of climate change is going to get worse. So partnership, public policy, and the ability of us to work together in spite of our differences is something that seems to be forgotten and is gonna be essential for that brighter future. We don't have to agree on politics. We have to agree we all wanna make our planet cleaner and we wanna make our future more prosperous together. And that means compromise, no matter how our values or perspectives are, what language you speak when you're, you know, your mother tongue or what religion you preach. And that's a big challenge for us. And we haven't got it right yet in America, but we are working on it. And I think we're in the right direction, but it's going to be about teamwork. And you've opened my eyes, Aaron, to a world that I didn't even know is out there. And it's humbled me because I would be less of an executive if I didn't know how to listen and learn from those out there who have things to teach. Yeah, I think in terms of compromise, great technologies do not require compromise, right? If someone is building wonderful technology, it will be uh, based on efficiencies, right? So it's not just going to be uh, great for the environment, but it's also going to bring efficiencies to the businesses. So, and investors are looking for those technologies that are, uh, that fulfill that, uh, that role. So. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a great point. Go, go ahead, Rick. No, a little public sector help to get going, maybe. In some well, th that's where I was going to follow up on your point, Rick, which is that, you know, in, in, in reimagining the New Jersey Tech Council and now as Tech United, we've been looking for areas of differentiated strength. And the reason that we have this Clean Tech Alliance is because we do believe we can, we can create a leg up in the industry by bridging these connections, by building an actual alliance of the various entities required to accelerate this industry. And I should point out what Brian's mentioned, like there's been a significant shift in New Jersey. I've been involved in the tech community for a decade. The, the governor and the EDA, even if you, you know, if you have disagreements on policy, like they are investing in this industry heavily so that we can have that leg up. And I, I'm very grateful for that because I think it makes it, it gives us a chance to exceed in this capability. So uh, we are a bit out of time, but I wanna ask our closing question. I'm gonna ask you to keep your, your answers very short, which might be a challenge. Uh, I'll start with you, Catherine, which is, how can we build a better future for all? Keep building better tech. Short and sweet, I love it. Chris. Millions of people getting their power from offshore wind. <laughs> Sorry, Kathy, you can't, you can't have a rebuttal on this one. Uh, Rick. <laughs> Collaboration and a commitment to a more equitable future. Great, and lastly, Brian. Yeah. yeah. We, we think a lot about how stronger and great technology supports fair and, and uh, more equity and how, you know, if we are more equitable in how we think about 
building out technology and we you know build for not just the one percent and we build uh you know products that are not just uh, created by the one percent then uh, we're going to be a lot stronger so that mutually reinforcing the dichotomy is i think what we think a lot about at EDA and uh, what I'm hearing a lot about from this panel. So I'm really excited. Likewise. I want to thank you all for being here today. Catherine, Brian, Rick, Chris, and Kathy, who unfortunately had to jump a little bit earlier. Really interesting conversation. And, and I mean it, you know, a lot of people who know me, I didn't get involved in the New Jersey ecosystem because I have some dying love in New Jersey. I happen to like New Jersey, but I, I look for where we can have a strategic business advantage. And this is an industry where we now have that. And it's with the collaboration support of the EDA and PSEG and the variety of stakeholders needed to make this happen. That's very, very different in other industries. I've had consumer tech business company, you know, businesses before, and this is a very different game. So if you're not checking out New Jersey in this industry, give us a call. Call Brian, call me, call Rick, call Chris. Maybe Catherine will write you a check. Thanks for listening. Let us know your favorite takeaways on social media at We Are Tech United. Stay tuned. More of Tech United on Tap next.